you open your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 13, we're going to be starting in verse 22. I think I figured out of the, why the majority of pastors stay in the following epistles. Because Jesus is really hard. Jesus has continuously, for the last two chapters, and he continue for another, yet another chapter after this, preached the same idea of repent and believe in Christ or you will perish. And something that we often forget is that the, the repentance is painful. Repentance is being told that you're wrong and that you have no way of making yourself right. Well, the only way to be made right is to surrender your will to someone else's Repentance is painful and it is offensive. That's why Jesus, the best teacher that ever lived, was hated. The vast majority of those who heard it, by the vast majority of those who heard it, because the preaching of repentance and offense is told us that we are wrong. This morning, he continues the same line of thought. As he's on making his way to Jerusalem, the cross is leering in the near future. We're going to see three things. First, the devoted servant. Jesus is asked if there will be many who are saved. And the response is a little different. He says, don't worry about everyone else. Make sure you enter the narrative. Second, we're going to see the delayed servant. He, he continues on as he talks to this, this purpose follower in a parable. He tells him a parable of the servants who came late to the banquet. And they were not welcome because the place of the master of the land. And finally, we see today is the dedicated dead Christ. The Pharisees come to Jesus and tell him that he must leave, and he responds by inviting Jerusalem and telling him that my path must be on my time as I make my way to my life. And how this message striving for the narrow. He went on his way to the town of Jordan, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. But once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and he began to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence and caught in the street. Or you taught me to be And he will say, I tell you, I do not know when you come from. Depart from me. All you want is Jesus. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, when you yourselves pass out. And people will come from east and west, and from the north and south, and find a table of the kingdom of God. And behold, some are the last to be first, 
and some are cursed to the last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons in full cure today, and tomorrow on the third day, and I finished my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that filled the prophets and stones those were victors. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers the brood under her wings? And you were not here. Behold, your house is the faith. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God as far as it is here tonight. It remains true and good and preserved by the Spirit of God for these people. Father, open your hands by how you speak, the beautiful community. One of my first jobs while I was in college was working at a parking attendant at Phoenix International Airport. Now the traffic in Phoenix makes the traffic in Louisville look like the traffic in Battlefield. It's it's intensively bad in Phoenix. They have all sorts of different interstates that all meet up at three different junctures, and it typically will take hours to move. Every time we went went there, it seemed like it was rush hour. But there was an HLD lane, a carpool lane. The deer off of the main road is bypassed all the traffic. And so, there was a pack with it. Once he got off the HOV, that carpool lane, there was about half miles to get over eight lanes of traffic to get to my exit. So I could either go on the wide gate and get to that exit and spend about an hour in traffic, or I could take the HOV lane, bypass it about three miles of of jam-packed freeways and then try my best at the end to get over eight lanes of traffic. Well, being that I was 19 and always driving with another 19-year-old, I was always late, so we always took the extra relay. And when we got off, we had, had to try our darndest to get over eight lanes of traffic, bypassing people, people honking at us. And I just put on every time to the park. Much like we had to do to fight to get across that narrow, that into that narrow exit, Jesus tells us that our spiritual life is a fight, a consistent striving to stay on the narrow level. At least right now. Unlike Jesus, mind is sinful because I was lazy and running late. Jesus helps to strive after himself. So let's dive into our exit. First question is a devoted sermon. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Now this is important because this whole section that started back in Luke chapter 9 is a journey for, for Jesus from Galilee 
two, three from now. That's not a terribly long distance. But what Jesus was doing is he was zigzagging through. The reason it was towards Jerusalem is because it was towards his ultimate destiny to be crossed and to be saved. But he was zigzagging back and forth because he wanted to preach the gospel to as many as to be heard, as, to, as many as to hear. And so he continues this, going from town to town, from village to village, journeying for his ultimate destiny towards Jerusalem. So he continues saying in 23, and someone said, those are unmade disciples who are following him, maybe he was on the fence, maybe he was there. So he just asking, the Lord, well, those are saving people. How many of the people, this is the question, how many of the human race will get into heaven? That's a logical question. This is a question that many of us ask, and well, maybe many of us want to step away from because the answer is hard, and the answer is scary. But when we consider the continuous teaching of the Jesus is focused on repentance and faith, we say the logical question. The problem was that the prevailing thought of that day was not that it would just be a few people in heaven, at least not a few of the of Israel, but that if you are of Israel, you are God's chosen people, if you are God's people who are called out, but the only way you weren't going to make it is you committed one of those things. Use the Lord's name in vain. I know it takes you all the time, but they come specifically of the word Yahweh. Or if he killed and murdered someone. Those big things that, that people think of, that's the only way you weren't going to make it to heaven, but you were God's people. And so the Jesus in Jerusalem continuously looks at these Pharisees, looks at these Sadducees, looks at these scribes, and says, Repent, you hypocrites, who believe. And so the natural, logical question has to be, are there going to be anyone in heaven? Is anyone actually going to make it? Because Jesus was very clear that in and of ourselves, it's an impossible to fight that thing to fight. The problem is, is that we are sinners, we are born sinners, we are more enemies of God. And so as Jesus comes, he teaches that all have to repent. There's none that are born into it. We all must repent and believe. And with repentance comes humility. 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 Now, like we talked about this in Sunday school, and they got a more thorough version of this, but the, the word humility, we often don't realize, comes from the word humility of for us to humble ourselves and repent to God. We are saying that I can't do it, I will never be able to do it, but God can. That's a And especially in our 21st century era, to say that we can't figure it out ourselves, to actually say that you aren't the smartest person, to actually say that you don't know everything, it's me. And so th this man, with this logical question, comes, oh, well, those people who are saved, you too? And he's answering. And the answer is, 
didn't really answer it. It didn't sense. It really answered the way they expected. No one. But he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. Now this man asked a corporate question. How many will be saved? How many people will make it to heaven? And he gives an individual answer. You know that? He basically says, don't worry about everyone else. You worry about yourself being saved. Strive yourself to be saved. Now he did answer it in a sense because he said that the door was narrow. Right? He said that the door is not broad. It's a narrow door that leads to salvation. But he, he answered it for this young man or this young disciple. You strive to salvation for God. Now that goes against a lot of what we do. That goes against a lot of this easy believism that we always are told. You come and you, you pray a prayer, you get dunked in the water, and you go back and live in your own life and you're good. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what you believe. You prayed the prayer, you got done, so you're good. Jesus says, strive. The word that, that comes from is the word agonism. But everyone here can know what that sounds like. Agonize. Fight. Agonize yourself to enter that narrow door. Because every other path leads to destruction. Agonize yourself. Fight. Salvation is fully by the grace of God, and yet it requires effort. This is one of the divine mysteries. It is fully a work of God, and by the grace of God, unmerited favor, and yet the proof of that is that we have a desire to live for God. That goes into Philippians 2, chapter 12. To therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, we are called not just to pray the prayer, get dunked, and be, go about our way. We are called to submit to God in everything. We have a new life. Our old life has passed away. Or we go to Matthew chapter 18. He says, This is your eye caused you to sin, tear it out, and throw it away. For it is better for you to. Enter life, enter life, eternal life, with one eye and two eyes, and be thrown into heaven. And then he says, if the hand has been felt, the sun will chop it off. So it's better to go into heaven with one hand and then the other. The salvation takes effort. And the desire to, to put effort into your salvation is a proof that you're going to be saved. Now some may hear this and it may be a little weird here. We grew up in the era of Billy Graham. But all we saw with Billy Graham was the first step. We didn't see the background. We didn't see where those, where those people went out and went to different churches and were, were discipled and were, were raised up. We just saw Billy Graham give a beautiful plea for the gospel and thousands come and believe in Jesus Christ.
the fruit of the Spirit, it will grow in you. And as it grows and takes root in your life, you will begin to look, hear, and sound more like God than you do like your old self. The love that you have, the passions that you have, the desires that you have, will lead to that which God has more than the world. More than that which you once loved. And the question is, Remember, you answer the question. You strive to narrow it. The question is, are you striving to narrow it? Maybe say you're striving to church. Maybe say you're striving to to be a good person. Okay. Are you striving to narrow gate? The gate that leads to Christ. The person tells him not to worry about how many will make it, just to make sure you make it. Then he gives a spine-chilling parable. And you see the seven points of the way and when once the master of the house has broken and shut the door, and he begins to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open it. This is defining what he means by the many of the people who stand up and not be open. He's telling exactly what he means. Once the master is done, once his patience has run out, he will shut the door. Well, it matters how much you know about God, but if you, if, it doesn't, sorry, it doesn't matter how much you know about God, but if He knows you. And the evidence that He knows you is that you desire to honor Him. You desire to walk through the narrow gate. You desire to live in the narrow life. If you have no desire to live in this narrow pathway that leads to Christ, then you're living and desire during the wide gate. And Jesus says, not Jensen says, Jesus says that we should trust the hell. The world is a wide gate. And you can keep all your sins, jealousy, materialism, all your stuff. But Jesus calls his children to be bought by the precious blood of Christ to submit to the Lord. And that takes not saved by the Lord, but it's evidence of your salvation. Don't wait till the door shut. That's the truth. Don't wait till the door shut and say, you know, I gotta live out my life. I've gotta do all the things that I need to get done. I gotta go buck wild for a little while, and then once I'm done with that, then I'll come back and I'll I'll surrender. I'll start going to church. I'll calm my life down, but I've gotta do all this stuff. You know, if you come to say that. We have to realize that if we're, we are His, then we desire to honor Him. We must move, move towards God. Don't wait for your son. Get text from Him. Get text from Then you will begin to say, well, we are great in your presence. And you put in our streets. See, this is literally the response of people in the crowd. Remember, this crowd is large. And this crowd is coming out, and the vast majority of the crowd, only the ones we know are the 12 to 72 that actually want to follow Christ. All the others we don't know about. And so this massive, massive crowd that is there, that he's going from town to town, teaching and eating with them, and he has to eat. And so they're going to say, but you were there, Jesus. 
You were sitting in our presence. You were pure. You talked in our streets. You know us. You'd be like us saying, I went to that revival. And that's what you I went to that church. Heard your preaching. Don't you tell us they were physically close to Jesus and did not mean that they were spiritually close to Jesus. And just because you are around the church doesn't mean you're a part of the church. The very similar text of warning, and these are the hardest texts to deal with, the, G, of the hardest words of Jesus that we ever hear. Comes from this text of Luke and this text of Matthew. Matthew 7 says something very similar. It's starting verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And they will declare to them, I never knew you. And what was the law of his mother? What was the reason? I'm using workers of knowledge. It is the, the work that is evidence that you Not the saying, Lord, Lord, not the praying of prayer, not the being baptized. It is the, the desire to work and honor God that is the fruit of your salvation. And if there is no fruit, there is no life. The fight to be found the work of righteousness. That's agonize. Agonize yourself. Strive. Fight. It's a, it's a new circle. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But the evidence that we are saved by the work of work of righteousness. And as we as grace through faith, as we believe in, as we as we just do the work, we continue to preach. But we're saved by grace through faith. The, the desire to live this way in you is the evidence that we are saved. Ask yourself. Do you desire to honor God and do you strive, fight, toil, and agonize over your interests? You come after God. You do it. You come after God. You think what the people said. I tell you, they said, You were around us, Lord. You came and you ate with us. You sat at the table and we talked. You say, I tell you. I do not know where you come from. The question is, where is a I'm a good person. I was sure of my life outside. What you live for is what you for your heart to have. Is it Jesus or the money? Is it Jesus or is it you? Is it Jesus or the academics? Is it Jesus or work? Where are your desires? None of the things I just talked about are evil. But if you place them above Jesus, they are absolutely evil. And you will say, you feel in bone shame, touch me. Are you really Okay. Now, this is the important part of this text. 
in all of the New Testament, in all the Bible, the vast majority of the teachings of hell are And I think the reason is, is because if it wasn't, we couldn't go. We wouldn't be able to, to, to comprehend or ritually believe that that is what it says it is. It did not come from our Lord. And even with the word coming from our Lord, there are many within Christendom that still deny its existence because they just think it's too evil. Verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the original language is a it's a continuous, it's an ongoing, it's never ending. It's sorrowing and agonizing. And, 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 and fury. It, 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 it's, a, it's a place where there will be constant and continual fierce anger. And part of that, as we'll see, will be because so many were so close to the gospel and never submitted. Continuing text. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God that you yourselves you see, what, what it's telling us right here, a, a doctrine of hell, is that we, that those who are in hell will be able to see those who are in heaven. And that will be part of the terrible nature of it. Because many will be so close. They've heard the gospel time and time again, but never gave them a they, they maybe even came, said a prayer, and got drunk, but never submitted their life to Jesus as Lord. And so part of the, the hell of hell is that there will be so many that will still come. There will be so many that were around Christians all the time, that were around people telling them the gospel all the time, and they refused to sell. Well, we will be shocked if you will not join us. That's the point of the text. And they backslide to enter the narrow door. The direct context is the Jews. We need to take their warning lest we fall down the same path. This is why the text goes on to say, and he will come where? To the east, the north, and south. The pride of Jacob's kingdom of God. All people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will come and, and recline at the table of God. They will be in the kingdom of God. They will submit to Christ. But the Jews who is talking about specifically, some of them will not. He says in verse 30, and behold, some who are last, that's us Gentiles, will be first. And some of those who are first, the Jews, will be last. The point of this is, is twofold. One, that there will be Jews that will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. There will be those who are God's people that couldn't come. And the second point is equality. Those that actually enter in, the first, the last, the last, and the first, but everyone is coming in at the same time, basically. And there will be no level of priority. You see that? If, if you're running a race and you're running against no one and you come go, go through it, you're both first and last. That's what he's saying here. There's, there's complete equality. Because they all come fully 
need of the, the, the sanctifying work of the Spirit and the, 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 the cleansing work of Christ. And we, none of us can do it ourselves. We all are need, and we all equally need of the covering of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It says, some of you, all of you, most of the ones who are following the Jews, some of you are going to be this close. You can find this place. You can do this You come to the last part of the text, and you see the one time in the dedication of the dedication of the text. It says in verse at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from me. But Herod wants to kill you. Now, if you've been listening through a loop, that's a little strange. The Pharisees don't like you. And now the Pharisees are coming and telling me, get away, because Herod wants to kill him? Oh, well, that's what happened here. It makes a little more sense. That's what happened here is that Herod probably a ways off. And they, yes, and they may be telling the truth that he was trying to kill him. But they wanted God to death. They wanted him out of their hair. They wanted him, his teaching and his, his what they considered blasphemy out of his hair. And a secondary truth of it is they wanted him out of their hair and Galilee and into Jerusalem. Why? Because they have jurisdiction. The Pharisees had jurisdiction there. Not in Galilee. They wanted him to go where they can deal with them for good. He said that. Very politically correct. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. <laughs> Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons before the spirit today and tomorrow. And the third day I finished my He's not literally talking about things that I have to say in the same way. He's very quickly what he's talking about. Because I'm not a mind. I don't work according to you. I don't work according to Harry. I don't work according to Pharisees. I work for myself. I will go into the Father's will. And I will continue in my path until, the, no, until my time is up. No one can put Jesus before me. Then he said, Nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow. And the fall, they follow. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Now, he's not saying that all the prophets were killed in Jerusalem. What he's saying is that, that his destiny. He's, he's pointing to condemnation at Jerusalem and he's saying that his destiny is to be there. The prophet, this prophet, cannot perish outside of Jerusalem. So he must continue his path that he started back in chapter 9 to go to Jerusalem where he will be killed. The prophet's story is easy to die. He's going to Jerusalem and he's perish. How often when I gather your children together as a hand gathers the brood under the wings, we literally saw this. We saw this time and time and time again. They would, they would mess up, he would set them out, he would bring them back. He would heal them. They would mess up, he would set them out, he would bring them back. Time and time again, the patience, the gentle patience of the Lord, how, how often he would do this. Yet, he said, you were not there. 
The will is set to do that which they want the most, and you can only do that if you want them. You know, we're saying this, a vicious cycle. They did not want Jesus most until they could not have Jesus most. The truth is more of long suffering, but it will come to you. Our Lord's patience does not last. And the loose one, Jesus says, is in the In this generation, patience is over. When will this be the place for you? If you have not submitted to Christ, you're still in the right now. If you need to submit to Christ and turn to Him as Lord, it will come to the end at some point that you who describe to enter the narrow road. I who describe to enter the narrow road. And I, I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the The same will come up, and the next time that you see, the Messiah come and the second. Beloved, we have to make, this is not a harsh indictment on the house of Israel. For their traditions, so we cannot just believe it, saying that how terrible they were. You must raise them. The church is far more like Israel than we ever can be. And one day this judgment will be pronounced, not just on Israel, but all those who did not submit to God. 